0: Well, we welcome Jonah Goldberg back to the program this afternoon. He's a fellow at the National Review Institute, one of the, I think, one of the finest conservative pundits out there. He's coming to St. Louis tomorrow for an event at Washington University School of Law that's sponsored by the Show Me Institute. And the uh, the event is sold out, so ordinarily we'd be hawking tickets here, but we don't have to do that. The book that he just wrote is called Suicide of the West and the Future of American Liberty. Jonah Goldberg, welcome back to KMOX. How are you? I'm good. It's great to be here. Well, let's start with the news of the day and uh, all the Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> stuff. I mean, it changes every minute, but what, what's your take on what's been going on here over the weekend? Yeah, so I, um,
1: I can see this from a bunch of different angles, and I can have some sympathetic imagination for this woman if I, if I, if I try real hard. The only person right now, because we're in the middle of a he-said-she-said said thing, the only person, right now, I am absolutely sure is a villain in this story and has behaved horribly, is Senator Dianne Feinstein. Because whether or not this Ford woman is lying, how she handled this allegation is outrageous. She knew about this in July, over six weeks ago, and she did nothing. So if she took it seriously, then she would have brought up. A, she would have asked Kavanaugh about it. She would have handed it over to investigators if she didn't think it was worth investigating, which is what her staff originally said six weeks ago, it is outrageous to use this as a sort of Hail Mary kitchen sink thing at the 11th hour to try and destroy this guy. And the problem is, it is simply on... What is the FBI supposed to investigate? This woman can't give a definite week or location of where this allegedly happened, and the only two other people in the room flatly deny it, and so it is... It is is. Even if it were true, and I don't really think it is true, even if it were true, um, it is totally unprovable. And we are supposed to judge her 36-year-old interpretation of loudish, drunken behavior one night 36 years ago and condemn I, I think and it's throw crazy. away the rest of his yeah. life. because
0: I think it's crazy, And but we're seeing this, and look, we we know... That the Democrats are trying to pull anything they can to get this thing derailed. But let's talk about something else. So, I'm doing my roundtable, my Reardon roundtable on a Friday a couple weeks ago. And my colleague, Jane Duker, who's on the other side of the aisle from me, says, Oh, you know what? This Kavanaugh guy, he talked about how birth controls are birth control, just the birth control pill is abortion inducing. And that's all out there over the internet. But in fact, it's not true, is it?
1: No, it's a lie. It's just a lie. Um... The amazing thing is, so uh, Kamala Harris said this. She knew that what he was actually quoting was the position of the plaintiff's Priests for life in that case. And he was just simply describing their view. And even, you know, PolitiFact, which always bends over backwards like a frickin' yoga swami to give liberals the benefit of the doubt, said it wasn't true. Got four Pinocchios from the wa- Washington Post fact-checker. It was a lie. And she knew it was a lie. And then even after it was proven to be untrue, Hillary Clinton then goes and puts it out again. And it's, the, you know, it, it, it's unclear to me whether or not the sort of Democratic Party people care about truth in any of this, or if it's just we'll throw every single thing at the wall and see if it sticks.
0: Well, that seemingly is the, uh, is the game plan right now, and we'll have to see. Look, by, by Friday, well, hell, you're coming to St. Louis tomorrow. By the end of the day tomorrow, this all could change very, very quickly. When you talk about the suicide of the West, what does that mean?
1: Well, I don't mean to disparage anybody who's in personal, you know, moral or psychological crisis, but the reason I use the word suicide is because suicide's a choice. And part of the argument that I'm trying to make is that we are choosing as a civilization to turn our backs on this amazing thing that uh, gives us longer lives, greater prosperity, freedom, liberty, all of the things that make us proud to be Americans or, or part of Western civilization. These things are unbelievably recent, and they're unbelievably fragile. For 250,000 years, the average human being everywhere in the world lived on less than $3 a day. And that changed once and only once in all of human history, about 300 years ago, starting in England, because of these ideas that bubbled up and allowed, allowed us to reorganize life in a way that made us freer and more prosperous. These ideas that our rights come from God, not from government. We are citizens, not subjects. The fruits of our labor belong to us. And we don't teach people to be grateful for any of that or to respect any of that. Instead, we teach ingratitude and resentment and entitlement. And we want to say that the worst aspects of our history define us. And that is a suicidal choice and has been made every day on a college campus, every day in Hollywood, every day in big chunks of our politics.
0: So let let me use my uh, my son, who's 21. I have two. Well, I have three children, one younger, but I have uh, two at the University of Missouri, and one that's been tweeting a lot and seemingly has been attracted to the message of Bernie Sanders and some of the other progressives out there. And I wisely, Jonah, you're probably a parent, right? Yep. Okay. I, I don't engage uh, with the tw- I'm going to let this thing kind of play itself out, although there have been a couple of times where I wanted to present a different perspective, you know, perspective than what he's tweeting, which I would say is the truth. But, again, I'm kind of keeping my distance. But I raise it with you because if you're sounding an alarm bell that needs to be sounded, and I completely agree, and I think most of my listeners would agree with this, but how do you actually take a path, then, to fix it with younger people in particular. They don't want to hear a lot of these things. You know, I I even saw my son tweet something about socialism, and that was the one I wanted to engage on. I'm like, dude, what are you you thinking? Do you not understand? And I think clearly they don't have an understanding of how this plays into freedom.
1: Yeah, no, uh, it's a great question, and it's a great problem, and it's not one that's going to be solved overnight. Although, um, as your kids start getting mugged by this guy called (laughs) FICA... Yes. (laughs)
0: Yes. <laughs> um, I know that might help
1: a little bit. That's <laughs> why
0: I'm kind of holding off because I think they're going to experience some things that might change them in another direction.
1: No, that's right. But there's also, you know, one of the things I try to do in the book is, and I've gotten, I've gotten some grief for it from my friends on, some friends on the right. Try to, one of the things I'm trying to do is go back to something that I think is kind of sorely missing in big chunks of the right these days. I'm trying to make a good faith argument where I argue on my opponent's turf. And so I don't cite God. I don't cite grand moral principles. I cite data. I cite facts. And I'm trying to do what politics is supposed to be about, which is persuasion, where you actually make, you marshal facts and data and reason to make an argument that, in in, in the hopes of persuading people. And too much of our politics now on the right and the left is all about this sort of, oh, their tears are delicious, screaming and insulting, rather than trying to argue. And I think it's going to be, we have to make sustained arguments.
0: Yeah, I just, and I agree with you, and I tried, look, I've tried to do that my entire talk radio career, but it seems that that doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter with both sides. And when it comes to the hyper-partisanship, you even heard this from Ruth Bader Ginsburg last week in an event that she did, because... This has been mentioned quite a few times in the past couple of months or even all of this year since the Kavanaugh nomination was made, going back to that a little bit. You you seemingly are in a point now where you'll never have uh, Democrats voting for a conservative politician's nominee for the Supreme Court and vice versa. And I don't think, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, and I think a lot of Republicans would agree, that's not very good for the republic.
1: No, I, I agree. And part of this is one of the big problems that we have and one of the frustrations that I'm sure you have that not a lot of people who are socialists are listening to your radio show. Right. Not Not that that I'm aware of. Yeah, or or, or reading National Review or watching Fox News. One of the problems that we've got in our culture is this big sort where people want to live with people who agree with them on everything. You know, 40 years ago, if I asked you whether you were a Republican or a Democrat, I'd have to ask you a follow-up question to find out if you were a liberal or a conservative. That's not true anymore. Yeah. Well, we're when yeah. ideologically polarized.
0: That's when you had, back then, you had Democrats who were pro-life. I always cite Harold Volkmer, who was a congressman, a longtime congressman from um, a district here in Missouri that is now held, although the lines have been, you know, redrawn by uh, Blaine Luka-Meyer. You'd have Dick Democrats, Kephardt. you'd have, well, right, Dick Kephart's an example of that, too. Yeah, so,
1: no, and, and and so, it's in a lot of ways, the social science on this is very depressing, right, because we've, We retreat to Facebook. We retreat to these things. We watch news that only confirms our biases. And we actually just can't get our heads around thinking that our opponents might have a good point because we subscribe to our own set of facts and we assume bad faith of everybody who disagrees with us.
0: But a lot of that, you know, I know you wrote about this, and this is one that frustrates a lot of people. You can go to the you know, the Colin Kaepernick stuff, but let, let's go to what happened with this movie, and I was so excited about this movie, First Man. It comes out of the Venice Film Festival. We realize that a movie about Neil Armstrong, who planted an American flag as he walked on the moon, is not going to feature the moment where the American flag is planted. That's just, I've still yet to understand how this is happening.
1: Yeah, no, I think, you know, there's, there's one cynical interpretation that said, they just didn't want to piss off China because it's a huge market. And we've, got, we've seen a lot of examples of that in some of the big superhero movies. Um, that's not an excuse for it. It's still grotesque. And, but I think it might be part of it insofar as it lends a sort of bottom-line rationalization for their own ideological assumptions. You know, let's, why piss off? This is, a, this is a world accomplishment. I have no problem with people saying it was an accomplishment for all of mankind. But the idea that the astronauts and the Apollo program weren't motivated profoundly by, by patriotism and Cold War competition with the Soviets, it's just,
0: it, you have to be too stupid to be a spell checker in an M&M factory It's ludicrous. That. It is ludicrous. That's why it's so frustrating. And we'll see what happens when we get a chance to see the movie here. Jonah Goldberg, he's coming back to St. Louis tomorrow, but you can't go see him because I think it's all sold out at Washington University. The book is called Suicide of the West and the Future of American Liberty. Jonah, great to have you back on CAMOX. We'll see you soon. Always
1: a pleasure. Thanks, man.